0: Last Sunday of the Easter season, it's the Sunday before Pentecost, and we have went ahead and we've changed colors around here a bit because I want to talk about Pentecost early. We'll talk about it a little this week and a little next week. and So for the next two or three weeks, we want to look at the gift of the Holy Spirit a bit. I don't know about you, but when I was younger, I, I would go to church occasionally. We weren't regular churchgoers, but when I went with my grandparents especially, uh, you know, the Holy Spirit was rarely talked about. I mean, maybe on Pentecost Sunday, you might get one sermon a year on the role of the Holy Spirit. Uh, but the Holy Spirit and its activity in our world and in our lives deserves a whole lot more attention than one Sunday a year. And so we want to take its, its next couple of Sundays especially and really dig in to the nature of the Holy Spirit, and so this morning we're going to be looking at how the Holy Spirit connects in the Old Testament and with the coming of Jesus. And in that, I want to give sort of a thanks, this is to Nikki Gumbel, who does the Alpha Course. A lot of the things I share today aren't necessarily totally original ideas, some are connected to his uh, similar talk on the Holy Spirit, and so I I want to acknowledge that. Um, But we will begin today with a story from Exodus. Uh, Moses is out in the wilderness with the children of Israel. They've been wandering around for quite a while. And I tell you, those Israelites, they're just, in all honesty, they're a pain. They complain, and the Lord gets mad and reprimands them. Then it says there's a rabble. They begin to crave other food. They come to Moses and say, We're tired of this manna. All we've been eating for months and weeks and years is manna. We don't want any more manna. We'd like some real meat. And so they're out crying in front of their tents. And Moses has had enough. And the Lord has had enough. And Moses finally says to the Lord, Why did you put me in charge of these folks? They're stubborn, they're rebellious. They're whiny. I can't do it. Find somebody else. And the Lord replies, well, okay, you're you're right. You need help. And so that's where we begin today is with this help. In verse 16, the Lord said to Moses, bring me 70 of Israel's elders who are known to you as leaders and officials among the people. Have them come to the tent of meeting that they may stand there with you. And I'll come down and I'll speak with you there. And I will take some of the power of the Spirit that is on you and I'll put it on them. Then they will share the burden of the people with you you, so that you will not have to carry it alone. Now after this, uh, the people get ready because not only are they getting ready for this meeting, but they're getting ready for a bunch of meat the lord is going to provide them birds upon birds upon birds without number till they get sick of meat and would go back and preferring manna again and sort of after that little episode we find these words in verse 24 so moses went out and told the people what the lord had said and he brought together 70 of their elders and had them stand around the tent where the lord god revealed himself And then the Lord came down in the cloud and spoke with Moses, and he took some of the power of the Spirit that was on Moses, and he put it on the 70 elders, and when the Spirit rested on them, they prophesied, but they did not do so after that, or did not do it again. However, two men, whose names were Eldad and Medad, they'd remained in the camp. Now, they were listed among the elders, but they did not go to the tent of the Lord Yet the Spirit also rested on them, and so they prophesied in the camp with the people. And a young man ran and told Moses, Eldad and Medad, they're prophesying in the camp. So Joshua, son of Nun, who had been Moses' aide since a youth, spoke up and said, Moses, my Lord, stop them. But Moses replied, Are you jealous for my sake? I wish that all the Lord's people were prophets, that the Lord would put his spirit on them. And then Moses and the elders of Israel returned to the camp. This is the word of God for you and me, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Will you pray with me and for me as we prepare? Lord, help us listen to your heart, to your love. Lord, help us open our hearts and allow the Spirit to do new things. Oh, Holy Spirit, do new things in and among us, and not just us in our community. Not just our community. Lord, do new things in our nation and in our world, for we are in desperate need. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Now, as we've talked about you know, this week we were reminded once again, the last several weeks, both Buffalo and in Texas, we are a broken nation. There are things that just aren't right. Yes, they go well most of the time, but, but not all the time. We've got people that are hurting, people that are angry, people that are filled with hatred, people that are filled with bitterness and rage, and they're just, they turn sour and, and do horrendous things. And that doesn't include the people that are addicted to painkillers and other things, and doesn't include just all the other folks wrestling with depression. And I mean, there's a lot of sickness still, even here in our country. What is our hope? What should we seek? Is there a hope? Is there a possibility? Is there an answer? I think Moses shares with us today the hope of the Holy Spirit. You see, things weren't going so well for Moses either, right? When we just talked about it, these folks, they complained. Never, nothing was ever good enough. They wanted to go back to Egypt and be slaves again. They would rather be slaves and have food in Egypt than live out in the desert with God's food. And so Moses as well feels overwhelmed by the brokenness of the community around him he says, Lord, I need help. And so the Lord takes the Holy Spirit and and takes a group of 70 leaders. Now, I want you to recognize this. They were leaders before this time period. They were leaders of the people of Israel, but they were leaders who were missing something essential to being the kind of leader that God calls us to be. Right? Right? That missing piece was the Holy Spirit so the Lord says Moses not just you I'll put it on these 70 and that'll help you carry the burden but what we find brothers and sisters is over and over again in the Old Testament that the Holy Spirit is kind of reserved it's limited the Holy Spirit only comes on certain people at certain times in certain places for certain tasks It only comes on certain people at certain times and certain places for certain tasks. It's limited in its effect. And we see Moses realize that this is one of the primary issues for the brokenness in our world and in our community and in our nation. And so we see his his hope, his yearning, his longing, his wish at the end where he says, I just wish the Holy Spirit wasn't reserved just for the folks that gather in the holy places. It's okay that the Holy Spirit is revealing itself in the camp, too, that they didn't come to the right place. I'm glad the Holy Spirit is active there. It doesn't take anything away from my leadership that these two guys have their leadership affirmed. I wish that all God's people would prophesy, and that they would all be filled with the Spirit. And Moses cries out in longing, which we should still cry today, Lord, we do not have enough of your Spirit at work in our hearts, and our lives, and especially in our community and in our world. That is the answer that Moses set upon That day, and I believe that's the answer for our time too. But it starts with you and I here, and those listening online, it starts with us being willing and open vessels for the Holy Spirit. So, what is the Holy Spirit? Who is the Holy Spirit is a better word. The Holy Spirit is a person, the Holy Spirit is God. Is God active in His creation? We see the activity of the Holy Spirit in the second verse of the Bible. You remember the first verse, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Then in the second and third verse, it goes on and says, and the Spirit of God hovered over the waters of creation. You see, the Spirit was active in the birth of the universe, in the creation of the universe, in the forming of the universe. The Spirit uh, in Hebrew is the Ruach of God. The Hebrew word for Spirit is Ruach. I know it sounds like I'm spitting, but ruach. The ruach of God is the breath of God, the wind of God, the activity of God in creation. When God gets active, the Holy Spirit is what goes to work. And the Holy Spirit takes chaos and turns it into organized and ordered creation. And so when our nation is in chaos, God seeks for the Spirit to bring order out of that chaos. Takes the darkness and brings the light. Takes a planet that is formless and void and fills it with plants and animals and creatures and life. The pinnacle being human beings who are stamped with the image of the one who made them. Stamped with creativity. Stamped with with leadership, stamped with knowledge and reason, stamped with life. So the Holy Spirit is active, taking chaos and moving it toward creation. It is whenever God is at work, new things happen, life happens, new creation happens. But then God along the way realizes that he needs for his spirit to live in particular people at particular moments for particular purposes especially in these days and so when he would find a leader or someone who would listen to him or follow him he would anoint that person like a Moses for instance and he would call that person and empower that person with his spirit to lead others into a living relationship with the creator of the universe and so it started with folks like Moses, but did not end there. Exodus tells us that God anointed Bezaliel, Bezaliel with gifts and abilities and talents that could create a sacred space for Israel, where when God showed up, there was a tabernacle worthy of his glory. And so bezaliel was tasked to do the the Woodwork and the ornamentation and the design and the beauty and the jewelry and the gold and the bronze and put it all together to make a place, a sacred space where they could encounter the living God. Bezaliel was given gifts of creativity and craftsmanship for God's glory. These 70 elders were also given gifts of prophetic leadership. And oftentimes, a sign of the Spirit is prophecy. Now, I want to clarify a little bit about prophecy because oftentimes when you think of prophecy, what do you think about foretelling the future? Now, that's not the primary purpose of prophecy. It's not to foretell the future. The primary purpose of prophecy is to try to s- get in so in touch with the living God that you can speak a word of truth a word of life, a word of encouragement, a word of good news, or a word of coming judgment that is true, that is what the people need to hear to help motivate them to bring change and to bring transformation and to bring a new way forward to again take us from that state of chaos, right, and move us to a place of clarity. The words of the prophets were words that helped bring clarity in their chaotic world, words they needed to hear today to help them know what to do tomorrow and then in the days ahead. And so we see that prophetic gift here in Numbers. But then it goes on, and we move to the judges, and we see a person like Gideon, for instance. Gideon, a young man who's scared to death of the Philistines and the Malachites and those who are surrounding him. And he's hiding from them until he hears the Lord's voice. And the Lord says, Gideon, I have called you to be a mighty warrior. And he looks around and he says, Me? Uh, Lord, you got the wrong guy. You, may, you want somebody else to sign up, not me. Don't you see? I'm, I'm here hiding and trying to stay alive another day. But the Lord's Spirit anoints Gideon to be that mighty warrior, to be the leader that Israel needed to defeat the Amalekites and their enemies. And then we fast forward to Samson. And the Holy Spirit comes on Samson in a mighty way to give him incredible strength. Strength to tear apart a lion with his bare hands and strength to defeat thousands of Philistines over and over and over again to just be a thorn in their side as God's strength, the Spirit, uh, kept them in check. And then after that, the Spirit continued to do its work through the prophets of old, through Elijah and Elisha, through Isaiah and Jeremiah. Isaiah, for instance, hundreds of years later shares, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me to proclaim good news to the poor and recovery of sight to the blind and freedom to the captive. But yet, in all this, with the Lord giving His Spirit to to prophets and kings and leaders, it's not enough. As Israel's kingdom fails in 600 B.C., In 600 B.C., they're kicked out of their homeland. The temple is destroyed. Jerusalem is rubble. And they are sent to Babylon for 70 years. And in that faraway home, they begin to wonder, what did we do wrong? How did we blow it? What do we need to be the kind of people God wants us to be in the future? And so the Lord raises up other prophets who are filled with the Holy Spirit. Prophets like Ezekiel, for instance. Where Ezekiel comes on the scene at the end of their time in Babylon, Ezekiel begins to remind them in verse 26 of chapter 36, I will give you a new heart. I will put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Then you will live in the land I gave your ancestors, and you will be my people, and I will be your God, and I will save you from all your uncleanliness, and you know, I will bless your lives, I'll bless your future, I will bless your community. But here, Ezekiel begins to realize what Moses wished for. That is what we need. We need a new heart. We need a new spirit. If we don't get the new heart and new spirit, then we cannot make things right. We cannot live the way God wants us to live. And so there begins to grow this promise that the Father would send his spirit, not just on a few people in a few places for a few purposes, but that the Lord would begin to send his spirit on everyone, who would open their hearts to him. And so we see from the prophet Joel, for instance. Joel envisions this promise of the Father, this hope of Moses. And afterward, he says, "'I will pour out my Spirit on all people, your sons and daughters. Both men and women will prophesy. Both your old men will dream dreams, and your young men will see visions.'" Even on my slaves and servants, both men and women, the lowest of the low to the highest of the high, I will pour out my Spirit in those days. I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth. And so Joel here again gives the hope of the Father that they are waiting for the Spirit to show up in a way that's available not just for a few, but for anyone who calls on the name of the Lord to be saved. And then in 400 B.C., the end of the Old Testament uh, witness and prophets, the spirit seems to go very quiet. Nothing happens for hundreds of years. Israel once again becomes slaves to Greece and then slaves to Rome. But then a new day dawns and the Holy Spirit's activity begins to peak up in a way that they hadn't seen in hundreds of years. First of all, a priest named Zachariah is filled with the Spirit and begins to hear that he will have a son in his old age. His wife Elizabeth is filled with the Spirit one day when her, her, her cousin comes by, Mary. And it says the little baby boy, John, leapt in her womb. The baby is filled with the Holy Spirit. Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit and says, Blessed are you, Mary, for the Lord has chosen you for good things. And then the Holy Spirit comes upon Mary in a powerful way to create in her a life unlike any other, whose name is Jesus. The spiritual activity in this season is more than they've seen in hundreds of years. But it continues on as John the Baptist grows up and preaches in the wilderness. He begins to link the person of Jesus with the power of the Holy Spirit. He says, listen, I come out here in the wilderness to baptize you, to wash you with water so that you might wish to be clean." but I can only clean you a little bit to get ready for the coming of Jesus. But when that one comes, whose whose shoelaces I'm not able to tie up because I'm not worthy of it, when he comes, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. You see, brothers and sisters, often when we think of the ministry of Jesus on earth and what he came to accomplish and what he came to do, we think of half of his ministry, right? Right? Why did Jesus come? Well, he came to die on the cross for us. He came to forgive us of our sin and offer us salvation. That's why he came, right? And yes, that's true. That is an essential part of God's salvation, but it's only half part. And if he only brought that half without the other half, we would still be quite stuck in an incredibly broken life and world. And so, John the Baptist reminds us he comes not only to save us and to forgive us and to die for us and to rise and conquer death for us, but ultimately he also comes to pour out this gift of the Father, the gift he has promised, the gift that Moses wished for. It will be poured out not just on a few people in a few moments for a few purposes, but upon all God's people. The Holy Spirit on Pentecost comes for you and for me. Not just the preachers, not just the prophets, not just the kings, not just the leaders, but upon all of us. We are all invited to take and breathe in the presence of the living God and the power of His Holy Spirit and let God's prophetic gifts begin to work in us too. And so as Jesus talks about the work of the Holy Spirit. When in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit goes to work, it often shows up in physical ways, like in strengthening for leadership or in giving strength to Samson. But in the New Testament, the Spirit and its work is turned from physical ways to spiritual ways. Here, the Holy Spirit in the New Testament comes to give us power to live. And most of all, to be a witness for the one who died for us. And like the Spirit gave physical strength to Samson, the Holy Spirit comes to give us spiritual strength to live life daily, knowing that we're not alone. And so when Jesus talked about the Holy Spirit, he said, I'm sending you another comforter, I'm sending you another advocate, a helper. And the picture here is that the Holy Spirit is the one who comes alongside us and reminds us that we are not alone. We're not alone. Because God has given us a person, his nature and presence to be with us. And this is one who can guide us into all truth, who can help set us free from sin and death who can help strengthen us in our weakness, who can help energize us for mission and witness to share the good news of Jesus as we experience it too. And the Holy Spirit is for us today. And not just for us, the Holy Spirit is very much needed to continue to do its work transforming our nation and world. Perhaps only the Holy Spirit can get a hold of hearts that are dominated by hatred and anger and all those things. And if somebody could just share a little bit, maybe captivate them, that there is a greater love for them than any hatred that they could embrace. And so we look forward then to the day of Pentecost. The day of Pentecost, which we'll look at deeper next week, is the day that the gift comes and comes for all. Comes for you comes for me and the Holy Spirit as he comes brings new attitudes brings new behaviors new thoughts new ways of living life to the full new joy new love new hope new peace and so we look to the Holy Spirit to do something new in and through us too you Now I think back to our heritage back to the days of our founders, John and Charles Wesley, and how John didn't want to go to Bible study one night. If any of you have felt that, you know what, you could go to Bible study, but I just don't feel like it. What John learned is you just go anyway. Because when he went down to Aldersgate Street to the Bible study there that night, and they read... Uh, from Martin Luther's preface to Paul's letter to Romans. not a very exciting thing to read, but whatever was reading, the Holy Spirit was working in John's life and heart. And he says that about a quarter to nine, he felt his heart strangely warmed. He said, you know what? I do trust in Jesus for my salvation. I do believe that he died to pay my debt of sin and death. And he has freed me from this law of sin and death. And in that moment, John Wesley experiences the fullness of the Holy Spirit unlike he had ever experienced in his life up to that point. And y'all, as I say that, he'd been a missionary to Georgia. He'd been a minister of the gospel for like five, at least five years probably already, right? But for the first time, he experiences the fullness of the Holy Spirit. And also his brother, Charles, experienced the fullness of the Holy Spirit. And Charles immediately goes from writing poems to writing hymns, and he doesn't stop until he's written 7,000, 8,000 over the course of the rest of his life. You know, several, a few of them made it into the hymnal. But John goes on, and he begins to turn England upside down. You know, a lot of historians think England could have gone the same way as France into revolt and revolution. But perhaps for the work of John Wesley, filled with the Spirit, sent out to minister good news to the common people that may have saved England from a similar fate to France. And then sent it over here to America. America. And the power of the Holy Spirit has been an active part of who we are as followers of Jesus for two thousand years. And as I shared, I didn't know a whole lot about the Holy Spirit either. You know, I went to a Baptist camp, and Baptists there there are brothers and sisters there. They're great at sharing. You need Jesus, right? You need His salvation. You need His forgiveness. You need to make Him Lord. But where they emphasize that. They never talked a whole lot about the work of the Holy Spirit. And it wasn't until I was sixteen and that young man came down from Asbury Seminary. He came to visit us for a retreat one weekend as teenagers, and you know, he said you two you two's leader bono had been singing recently when I was a teenager, singing about I still haven't found what I'm looking for. I know love, I've experienced the good news of Jesus. I know a lot about this and that, but I still haven't found what I'm looking for. And that young man from Asbury Seminary came and shared with us that weekend what Bono is looking for. He's looking for the gift of the Holy Spirit. He's looking to embrace the presence of God in his heart and life in its fullness because it's a fullness that can fill us up, splash out on others. It's a fullness that can change the world and change our family and change our lives. And so as I close today, brothers and sisters, I want to invite you and ask you, have you ever asked the Holy Spirit to come and fill your life to the full? Have you ever asked the Spirit to transform you from the inside out to guide your thinking, to guide your worship, to guide your living It's a prayer that we should be praying every morning when we wake up. Lord Jesus, come, send your Holy Spirit and fill me up today so I can be the person you need me to be today, so that you can shape me to be the mom and dad I need to be today, to be the local citizen I need to be today for your glory. And so as we close, I want to ask you and invite you, will you welcome the Holy Spirit and ask him work inside your heart and life today? Because brothers and sisters, as we look at our nation and the random bad things that keep on happening, it should be a sign to us that we need more of God. We need more of His Holy Spirit. Moses recognized it. Jesus recognized it. John the Baptist recognized it. We must recognize it too. And let's petition the Lord in our lives for the Holy Spirit to come and see what God will do. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and all God's people said, Amen. Heavenly Father,